Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. So I'm, uh, what did he say, uh, associate pastor, blah, 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 something, or Pastor Tim, you can go shorter with that, PT, whatever you need, um, just so you know. So we got that done, last day of March, you guys excited, April, um, it's my birthday, remember that, April, okay, got it, cool. So here's the thing, as children, right, we had this sort of superpower where we could, could kind of control all the laws of space and time by simply saying, I'd like a do-over, please. Anyone, no, that, no one ever did that ever in life. All right, well, I'm going to illustrate it. Okay? I had to be careful because you're in the sanctuary and, you know, doing like archery or baseball could go bad. Then I'm calling do-overs as people are calling hospitals. So here's how it worked. As you were a kid, you would be hanging out, and you're playing, and you're shooting, yay, all right, wasn't supposed to make that, um, uh, and as you're still going, you know, you're doing your thing, and eventually, you'd shoot something, and you'd go, do over, right, now we got it, visual, you're there, and the thing is this, is the definition of the do-over is this, it says, a new attempt or opportunity to do something after a previous attempt has been unsuccessful or unsatisfactory. Basically, it was a second chance on something that went horribly wrong the first time. And this worked well when you were hanging out by yourself and shooting, you could call do-overs all day long and you just kept doing that. Or with your friends, there was like a threshold of how much do-over you could do um, until you started losing. And then you're like, no more do-overs for you, right? But it was that kind of thing. Then we ended up joining these organized sports leagues and the do-over is not in the rule book, right? It's an odd oversight of gameplay. So it's basically the thing is now we're playing, and you go and you mess up, and they're like, wait, so I actually messed up? I can't do that again? And for me, I grew up playing soccer. I know you're thinking football, <laughs> basketball. I know. I know. That's where you guys were going. Um, but the thing is, is that I'd end up getting in, get it going, get the shot. <gasps> And then everything in my head played out that it was going in, and I'm scoring, the crowds are going wild, I'm on cereal boxes, and it's awesome, and it misses, and all I want to do is call the do-over, and going, oh man. Well, then if you take the do-over, a lot of times we think sports, but if we go into regular life, and you think of those options, like you go in and get your hair cut, and you're like, I can't go out in public, you know, do they have vitamins to grow this faster, what do I need to do, Right? Or if you go on and you're growing up, you take so many tests. I remember taking the test and going, oh, man, I wish I had the do-over option right now. Is that my grade? Really? Like, 
what in the world? It can go on from that of the idea even like dating for me. It was like, can I get back those five months, three days, my jacket, you know? Um, what in the world? And the thing is with all those, one of them stick out to me more than anything else. Is when I was 16, I got my license. And my dad said, look it, you will be allowed to drive my favorite car. And I'm like, oh, wow. And it was this 1978 Datsun B210. Anybody? Anyone? Um, just kidding. That was, his, that was his commuting car. That car went zero to 60 eventually. <laughs> right? That's how that one worked. The thing is, his main car was a 1970s AMX. Um, I don't know. It was an American Motors. It had a 390 in it. I don't even know what that means. But it had a 390, and it was a muscle car. You know, um, <laughs> it was a little more muscly than that. Uh, but the thing was, is that it was this car, and it was awesome, and it was his prized possession. And he said, look, you can drive it. But here's the thing, son. It leaks a lot of oil. So you have to keep up on the fluids. You have to check them every single time you get in the car. And I'm like, all right, dad, check fluids. Perfect. And this went on for a while, and everything was great. And then one day, I shot off from the light. And as I shot off from the light, I heard noises. You know what? These are the noises that no son right, driving their dad's prized possession car, ever want to hear. Um, they're so terrifying that I can't actually do them for you today. But when they happened, the car went from like, stop. And I'm sitting in the intersection going, uh. And all I wanted to do was crawl in a hole and live there forever. Later on, they said, I don't know, I cracked the engine block or a rod went through something. I don't speak cars, so I don't know what any of that was, except for the fact that I understood it was broke. And all I wanted to do is go, can I have a do-over and check the fluids and not have that happen? Each of our lives, we have moments that carry much more significance, more weight than haircuts and tests and blown up cars, Right? They're full of pain, they're full of failure, they're full of shame, disappointment, choices, life. I think a lot of us would like to call a do-over sometimes on things in life. And today, we're going to look at a moment in the life of the Apostle Peter. He had his own share of do-overs, I'm sure the water moment walking, I mean, there's all kinds of things that he probably wants to look back and go, oh. But his all-time greatest failure, his public denial of Jesus is where we're going to start. And the thing is, can you imagine that your worst failure is putting text for everyone to read for thousands of years? You'd be like, here you go. Here's Tim's worst failure. Please read this and pass it around. And that's where we're at. So we're actually part two. It's the denial. This is in Luke 22. And it says this. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some... There had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I do not know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I do not know what you're talking about. 
And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. So in an evening, everything changes, right? The disciples went from gathering together to scattering everywhere. And Peter is following at a distance, and he follows all the way to the temple courtyard. Jesus is heavily guarded. He is awaiting trial. These things are happening, and the whole world now seems like it's against Jesus. Peter wants to be near his Lord, but he also knows the dangers. And he's waiting, and he doesn't know what to do, and he sits down by a fire to warm himself. And watching from a distance, he's trying to keep himself covered. He's not speaking much. He doesn't want to give anything away. But the fire's glow eventually shows his identity. And so does his accent. And his courage crumbles to fear. And the denials come. And what added so much more weight to this scene is that just prior, Jesus had told him everything that was going to happen. And that really is the part one. It's the prediction that's in Matthew 26. It says, when Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I will never. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter's sitting at that moment, he's like, wait, not me, Jesus. I'm your guy, remember? I'm the rock. Remember, we did this whole thing already. I'm not going to fall away. All these clowns around me, maybe, they might scatter, but not me. And he wasn't recognizing his own vulnerability at all. Peter, in a single evening, would go, even if I have to die for you, I will not disown you. To do throwing down curses and going, I don't even know this man. Then the rooster crows an indictment, and it triggers the memory, the prediction. Jesus' words now play like a loudspeaker in Peter's ear. All will fall away, and you, Peter, you will disown me three times. Luke twenty-two sixty-two says, and he went outside and he wept bitterly. He collapses. The guilt is too much to bear. If there was ever a moment in his life where he just wanted to use that superpower of being a child and saying, I'd like a do-over, please, it was right there. Okay, cut. I, I need to redo the courtyard scene one more time. I need, I need to fix that. Okay, let's run it again. Let's do another take. I need to get that right. I messed that up. I need to get that right. Please. We need to redo that courtyard scene. And he weeps bitterly for the Savior that he so miserably failed. What have I done? My best friend, my Lord, right? I can only imagine how many times he replayed that failure and replayed that failure. And all of us have had these moments, right? We fail, we mess up, and we sit on repeat. If only I could go back. What was I thinking? What did I do? What's wrong with me? What have I done? We've sat in those moments. Jesus is then sentenced. He's beat, he's mocked, he's put to death, and he's buried. And Peter really is sitting there left with his guilt, his shame, 
his pain, and all seems lost and final. But in the morning, the women head to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. And as they show up, there's an angel sitting there. And the angel's like, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, we're looking for Jesus. And they're like, Jesus? He's like, Jesus? Jesus who was crucified? Oh, man, he's risen. He's out of here. Take a look. No one's here. And what's cool is in Mark 16, 7, it says, the angel goes and says, but go, tell the disciples and Peter. And I love how our God works, right? Peter is living in his failure. There's no way out, crippling his movement forward. At this point, he probably doesn't feel welcome at all. He doesn't feel a part of the group. He feels shame. I've messed up too much this time, right? I don't feel invited anymore. And God sees him right there in his pain. Go tell the disciples and Peter. The reality is, is Peter was a disciple. Could he just said, go tell the disciples? That would have been good enough. But he adds, and Peter, saying, you know what? You're still welcome. You're not too far gone. You may feel that way, but I don't feel that way about you. And we head to part three, which is the reinstatement. And this is John 21, and we'll sit there. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. We have seven gathered. Peter's like, I'm going to go fishing. And maybe it was a distraction. Maybe it was just to stay busy, get his mind off. Maybe he was returning to his old ways. I don't know. But for me in this, let's just go fishing. Because God's doing something really, really cool in this text. Verse 3, it says, So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I'm sure they had plenty of nights like this, right? I've only fished a number of times in my life. And the caught nothing, right, seems to be a theme. Seems to be almost every theme I've ever had. You know, it's like, please, just something, nibble. And there's nothing, right? But I'm sure this night it stung more. With everything going on, they're like, really? Now we're not catching anything either? You know, what else can go wrong? A hole in my boat? Like, this is the way our life's going right now. And it must have been a long night of thinking, replaying, and questioning everything as the waves just hit against the boat. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And no, they answered, and he said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. It says they didn't recognize him. Later in the text, it says they were about 100 yards out, so that's a distance. But it's early morning, there could have been glare. They've been up all night fishing. You know, I don't think eyeglasses were created yet. I don't know what it was. They didn't recognize who he was. But in that, can you imagine what the scene looked like? This random guy off on the shore, after a very frustrating night of catching nothing, is like, hey, catch anything? Throw your nets on the other side of the boat. 
Can you see Peter as a fisherman and all we know about, all about Peter going, oh, that's our problem. I was fishing right here. The fish were right here. Oh, they've been tricking me the whole time in that few feet. But no, right? He listens. And it says, when they did, they were unable to haul in the nets because of a large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said, Peter, it's the Lord. Jesus stages all of this for Peter. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. I've heard this miracle, right? The, the no fish and the nets and the bursting. And I, I've heard that. And you're right, you have. It was the morning Jesus first called Peter to be a disciple. This is back in Luke 5. Simon's cleaning his nets. Jesus shows up. He's like, hey, I got to teach a bunch of people. Can you push out a little bit? Can we use your boat? Simon, okay, goes in. They push it out a little bit. Jesus does his teaching moment as Peter's sitting there. And at the end of that, then Jesus is like, hey, let's go a little bit more into the deep and throw down your nets for a catch. And I'm sure a little bit of Peter is going, um, <laughs> Carpenter's telling me how to fish now. Great. And he says, Master, look at, you know, he's frustrated. He's like, we've worked all night. You know what? I kind of know what I'm doing. This is my thing. You know, stay in your lane. Um, and the thing is, he goes, but you know what? All right, if you're asking, I'll do it. And they drop down the nets, right? And they catch this amazing amount of fish. And instantly, Peter then falls before Jesus and goes, go away. Leave me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Go. And Jesus comes back and says, look, you know, don't be afraid, Simon. From now on, you'll be catching men. And they abandon everything, and he begins to follow. Jesus is recreating the same miracle. That moment of connection for Peter, reminding him of when Jesus called him to follow. Verse 7. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumps in the water. Other translations will say, through himself, he couldn't get to Jesus quick enough. He couldn't get to Jesus quick enough. Just tosses himself out of the boat. During the first miracle, right? Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. To this one where he's racing to his Lord. No longer hiding. No longer just engulfed with his sin. He's racing to Jesus. Verse 9. Then they landed. They saw fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. If we jump to 12, it says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. So we have Jesus on the shore. Peter's swimming. I, I think they probably rode in quicker than he swam, but that's happening, right? And they get there, and then Jesus is cooking dinner, or breakfast, sorry. And in that, I don't know how Jesus cooks breakfast, you know, <laughs> breakfast. Um, or like the fish are, I don't know, you know, like what does that look like? Are the fish jumping out of the thing? They're already seasoned. Um, you know, we don't get that on Food Network, right? And the thing is, is that what he's also doing is this. He's creating another moment. The charcoal fire burns. A similar fire had warmed Peter's hands the night of the denials. Charcoal fire occurs only twice in the New Testament. 
at the denial, and at the breakfast. It's a personal memory rooted in a sensory experience. Charcoal, fire, smoke, if you've ever done that, has a smell, you know it, you wear it for days. And in that, he's recreating that. Have you ever had that moment where you smell something and it brings you back to something? Like you smell something and you're like, Grandma's house, right? <laughs> that smells just like ever. Summer, <laughs> my dog's breath. <laughs> um, I don't know what it is, but it's those things. And that charcoal fire would evoke that memory. And in that, it's not a pleasant one. But Jesus is saying, look, Peter, we need to deal with this so that you can move on. So at a charcoal fire, Peter denies his Lord. And in a charcoal fire, the Lord would restore Peter. And we get to verse 15, and it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. The do-over that Peter so desperately needed, Jesus actually calls it here for Peter. Because remember, a do-over is an attempt or an opportunity to do something after a previous attempt had been unsuccessful or unsatisfactory. That second chance on something that went horribly wrong the first time. And three times, each for the missteps, the failures, the denials, Jesus asks a question. And what he says and what he doesn't say is so incredible. Because he doesn't say, dude, what is wrong with you? Like Jesus would say, dude, first, you know. But if he did, that's what he would say. And he was like, what are you doing? You have totally messed up. You're such a disappointment. Are you kidding me? He doesn't say any of that. Instead, he simply asks, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he gives Peter an opportunity to openly confess his love. Right? There's no condemnation here. It's not a, are you sure you love me? Because it didn't look like that back in that courtyard scene. No. Jesus is not there to inflict pain, but to relieve it. He knows he needs to walk Peter through this moment to release him to the next one. So he's not stuck in his shame, in his doubt, in his failure. And that's why all of this recreating is happening. It's this personal touch just for Peter. Jesus is not pointing back at failures and mistakes, but pointing forward to what Peter was created for. Each question has a response, an action. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus is saying, look it, I still believe in you. You're still my guy. You're still mine. And Jesus is recommissioning Peter as an apostle and a leader of the church. 
Peter was given a do-over, not three strikes and you're out, right? There's a quote that says, failure is not fatal. And the thing is, we all fall short. We all miss the mark. But God lovingly restores those who turn back to him. But God lovingly restores those who turn back to him. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Knowing forgiveness is available. Don't hide. Don't run. Don't sit in your shame, right? It said Peter jumped out, threw himself, flopped out. It doesn't say dive. It wasn't pretty. None of that. It was get out of the boat and swim as fast as you can to the loving arms of your Savior. And Jesus is reaching out to each one saying, look it, I want to pick you up, clean you up, empower you. But Jesus ends in 2119 where he says, follow me. Follow me. Peter took his due over this grace and did just that. He went on to live for Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to be a voice in the world for him. He went from this coward that couldn't even handle a girl saying something to him to preaching to thousands in Jesus' name in Acts. He went all the way to actually doing what he initially said of dying for him. Grace has given us all a do-over. Grace has given us all a do-over. None of us are too far gone. None of us. So what will you do with yours? Let's pray. Father, I'm just humbled every time when I think the things that I've done And God, the fact that you were there, that you care, that you love us. Help us to look at that grace, God, and realize that we need to jump out of the boat as quick as we can and to swim towards you. That failure should not separate us, but should bring us closer. And that, God, you're there to restore and create us and move us back to what we were created for. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. I open up my heart
God is working in your heart and there's things happening. And the reality of failures are just weighing down, God. Just, we have prayer counselors and we'd love to just sit down and pray with you and work through those. But know again the fact that you're never too far gone. Let's pray. God, so grateful that if we open to you, God, that you are right there to come in, right there to love us, right there to care for us, and right there, God, to get us back up into who we've been created to be. Help us to be those people that are reaching out to a broken world that so desperately needs to know who you are, what you've done. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.